morning, that we would hear your warning, uh, we would accept your encouragement, and we would live and walk wholly with Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be here. My name's Andy, if I haven't met you before, one of the assistant pastors here at church. And we have um, started a few weeks ago a series looking at the parables, stories that Jesus told from uh, Luke's biography of Jesus' life. And this morning's parable is uh, on a subject close to my heart, dinner. Uh, It's a parable about a dinner party. It's a parable that's told at a dinner party. But most importantly, most significantly, uh, this parable is used by Jesus to teach us about the big dinner party of heaven. I wonder whether you knew that heaven is described as this most amazing dinner feast. It's one of the most extraordinary images uh, used to describe heaven. It was uh, read out by Andrew in our first Bible reading from Isaiah 25. Let me just read uh, some of Isaiah 25. Uh, Isaiah says, uh, describes heaven as a feast for all peoples on the mountain of choice meat, finely aged wine. There's no uh, Coles budget stake here. There's no $7 Aldi Rioja. Just the very best. Better than Heston or Gordon or Matt Moran could serve up. Heaven uh, will be this wonderful feast. Now, I wonder whether you noticed, as Andrew read out Isaiah 25, uh, what was for dessert. Dessert's the best part about dinner, isn't it? Did you notice what was for dessert? Let me read again. Uh, Isaiah 25 says that he will destroy the burial shroud. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. What's on the dessert trolley? Eternal life. No more tears. No more flat lines. No more childhood cancer. No more bad news from the doctor. It's this extraordinary uh, promise and picture of the new creation that Jesus promises for all who follow him. It should shape the way that we view where we're going, and it should shape uh, the way we live today. Thomas More famously said, the earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Richard Baxter said, there is nothing but heaven worth setting our hearts upon. That is true, isn't it? The greatness and the perfection of the heavenly banquet should keep us going through the pain, through the sadness, in the good times and the bad. Heaven is that good. I remember as a kid uh, uh, waiting for my birthday party, counting the sleeps. Now that I've got children, they do that. Do you remember that feeling? Uh, That is how we should feel about going to this banquet, the future feast that brings great hope to the now, a feast that every one of us should want to be at. The invite is free and it's open to anyone who would trust and follow Jesus. I want to ask you, as you look at the world, as you look at your friends, uh, the people you work with and hang out with, why doesn't everyone want to go to heaven? It's that amazing. Why doesn't everyone uh, want to go to heaven, eternal life, perfect, a perfect world, complete satisfaction and, and joy? Why doesn't everyone want to be there? We should, shouldn't we? Well, this parable tells us. And the answer, in a nutshell, 
is that going to heaven in the future means following Jesus now. It means accepting his rescue plan of the cross for us. It means acknowledging that he died in our place to take God's judgment that we deserve. It means living with him as Lord of our lives. And people don't want to do that. People don't want to be uh, Christians. You will have seen friends of yours turn down heaven because they don't want to follow Jesus. You will know people who once followed Jesus who walk away from heaven because walking with Jesus is just too hard. Uh, You will know people, and I know people, who think they're on their way to heaven. And this is the serious bit. They think they're on their way to heaven, but they are not because they reject Jesus, because they choose not to follow Jesus. I bumped into a friend, uh, my old boss actually, from my advertising days in the week, and he loves the idea of heaven. He used to talk about heaven all the time. Uh, But he said to me once, he said, Andy, he said, ironically actually, he said, I would rather take a slow train to hell then become a Christian and start following Jesus. I guess that's true for many people that we know. They like the idea of heaven, but don't want to follow Jesus. Well, that kind of person is the person that we meet in our passage this morning. They're keen on heaven, uh, but they're not keen on Jesus. And Luke puts them before us in chapter 14 of his biography and gives us both a warning about rejecting Jesus and gives us this inspiration of why we should follow Jesus. I want us just, as we, um, if you close your Bibles, open them uh, to Luke chapter 14, uh, page 961. And I want us just to look at the context, what comes uh, just before our parable, or parables, as we've got here. Uh, look back at, at chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Um, One Sabbath, when he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. I wonder whether you pick, you can guess, what the context of of, of where our parable is told. Did you spot it? It's a trap, isn't it? It's a complete setup. The day is planned. It's the Sabbath. And the Sabbath has been the battleground between Jesus and the religious leaders so far in Luke's gospel. Uh, The expert witnesses are assembled, the leading Pharisee and all his chums from uh, the glitterati of the day. They're all assembled at this dinner party. Uh, The sick man, this man with dropsy who's uh, got lots of fluid on him, uh, he is the bait. And they are all watching him closely to see whether Jesus would heal on the Sabbath and break the Old Testament law. These Pharisees are out to trap him, accuse him, and eventually uh, kill him. Or verse 3, Jesus turns the table on them. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. Verse 5, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? To this, to this they could find no answer. You see what Jesus does? He uh, exposes their love for the law and he exposes their lack of compa- compassion for the broken and the lost. And most significantly, 
he shows us their hatred for Jesus. And that really is the tone of the dinner party. Pretty awkward. Ever been round to someone's house uh, where the couple have just had, a ha- uh, just had a row just before you got there? Uh, you can cut the tension uh, with a knife. No, I will not pass you the salt. Uh, really awkward. You ever felt that? Well, this is what we've got here. Uh, all this passive aggressiveness, awkwardness going on in the air. That's the awkwardness that we get in our passage. And as uh, chapter 14 goes on, the awkwardness just keeps escalating. Uh, Jesus keeps going, twisting, uh, the, uh, exposing the twisted hearts of these Pharisees, the, the leading Pharisee and all his chums. Uh, so he's... Uh, um, not content with just exposing their love for the law and their hatred of Jesus. Uh, Next, he goes uh, for their reliance on their social standing and their religious status. You see, that's what they think will get them into heaven. Have a look at verse 7. He says, he told, Luke says, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. Uh, These banquets were less about eating and more about showing off your social pedigree. Uh, You know, uh, like those people who go to Macca's and they order the choose-your-own burger that gets delivered to you by a waiter and the chips come in a little basket rather than ordering a Big Mac like the rest of us plebs. Uh, It's about showing off these banquets. Uh, These dinner parties revealed... Uh, revealed how well regarded you were in your social circles, socially and religiously. And if you hosted the party, well, who came revealed how, how high up you were socially and religiously. And these Pharisees thought that being on the religious and social A-list meant being on God's A-list. Well, Jesus Uh, rips up that ticket. Did you notice that as Andrew read it out? Uh, To the guests, he says, verse 10, don't sit in the best seats, sit in the worst. And to the host, he says, verse 11, don't invite the people who will invite you back. Invite the poor, the maimed, the lime, and the blind, verse 12. You see, in the banquet of heaven, he says, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 14, he says, the one who invites those who cannot repay you will, re- will re- be repaid on the day of the resurrection of the righteous, verse 14. Now, do you feel the awkwardness as Jesus sits as this rude guest at this dinner party? Jesus is saying to these upwardly mobile, very religious, nice, law, uh, Old Testament law-abiding people that no religious performance and no social pedigree will get them into heaven. Now that is awkward. He's just a carpenter from out of town. And he tells them this. Now I know that we're all uh, good uh, Sydney Anglicans with sound theology and we we know that uh, your good works don't get you into heaven. But Jesus is speaking to people who knew their Bibles, who had sound theology, who went to church. And he warns these religious people, these good, law-abiding people. He warns them. 
And I want us this morning to feel the warning of Jesus. Jesus tells you, he tells me, that our religious and our social pedigree, our performance in this world, will not get us into the banquet of heaven. I know we've got good theology, but we can also fall into this trap. Fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I'm respected at church, if I read the Bible up the front, if I play the organ, if I sit in the front, if I get a hug from Paul Dale, uh, then God will hug me on that last day. Get into that trap. If I stay awake when the preacher is preaching, then God will remember that. He will pat me on the back for how good I performed in his church. But Jesus says none of these religious flybys count for heaven. Not one of them. I wonder how that makes you feel. How does it make you feel that none of your Sundays, none of your early morning starts, uh, none of your uh, uh, church gatherings, none of your Bible readings, none of your religious duty count and make any difference to get you into heaven? I find that pretty scary. I've been to theological college. Uh, They put Rev on the service sheet. I get to wear a dog collar at 8 a.m. I want that money in the bank to count. I want my religious performance to count. But Jesus says uh, in this parable that the only thing that counts is how we treat him. How we treat Jesus is all that matters. And that's the next bit of the warning in our parable this morning. Uh, Verse 15, I think this guy senses the awkwardness in the air. He gets up, uh, verse 15 of our parable. Uh, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God God is blessed. I think he's just wanting to cut uh, the tension. He says, I'm all right, Jack. Pull the ladder up. See you in heaven. He thinks he's all right. He doesn't want this awkwardness. But Jesus, again, uh, uses this as a platform uh, to teach his guests about heaven, to show them their hostility towards himself and show them, expose their love for the world. Um. So he tells, this, he, he, sorry, he tells this parable, and he tells of this invite that goes out. Now, in those days, invites um, had, were a two-stage affair. Uh, what you did is that you, if you were hosting a party, you sent an invite out. You said, who's in for the big party? And then you went and slaughtered the appropriate number of cows and lambs or whatever uh, you were going to slaughter. Remember, there were no freezers. You couldn't have leftovers. There were no goodie bags. So you prepared just the right amount of food. And that took days. And so you sent the second invite out to say, it's ready. It's, it's party time. And that's what's happening in this little parable here. Uh, but the shock is there in verse 18. As the uh, master sends the servant out uh, with the second invite, verse 18 uh, says, But without exception, they all began to make excuses. Uh, The text says, literally, with one voice, they came back with excuses. And they're three really lame excuses. Did you notice uh, that they are really quite lame? They 
uh, they escalate in rudeness as well. So the first one says, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me, as if uh, that is an urgent reason. Uh, The second one says, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. As if you'd buy a second-hand car without trying it out. Uh, And the third guy, he doesn't even ask to be excused. He just says, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. Now, the commentators kind of deliberate around whether these are actually rude and what have you. But what's going on is this coordinated, unanimous snub of the host. You see, if you didn't like someone, you didn't go to their party. And that is what is going on here. It's the height of rudeness. Uh, It results in public humiliation of the host. And did you notice verse 21? It makes the master of the party really angry. And what Jesus is doing with this parable, he's putting up the spiritual mirror to these Pharisees and his cronies. And he's showing these Pharisees how they are treating God. You see, they'd accepted the first invite in the Old Testament from the Old Testament prophets. They were waiting for the great banquet of heaven. They'd heard Isaiah. They were waiting for the, for the second invite to come. And then the second invite comes in the form of of Jesus, and they take part in this coordinated, deliberate snub of the host by snubbing the servant who has sent them to invite them into the great banquet. It's quite obvious, it's quite nasty as you read this, and we're meant to feel the awkwardness, we're meant to feel the hostility towards Jesus. And I think we know that feeling all too well. We will know people who have walked away from Jesus for similar reason to the excuses here in the text. The love of work, the love of possessions, the desire for relationships, more than the desire to follow Jesus. We will know people who have walked away from Jesus for the same reasons. Perhaps we ourselves are tempted to keep Jesus at arm's length because we love work, because we love our possessions, because we love a relationship more than we love following Jesus. Perhaps that's you this morning. And the symptoms of that will be keeping Jesus at arm's length, but keeping religion very close to your heart. So you will come to church, you will read your Bible, you will be on the roster, but you will keep Jesus at arm's length, and you will say, Jesus, sorry, I'm washing my hair, I can't come to the banquet. Perhaps you've been here and you've been firing excuses at God for a long time. Perhaps you're here and people think you're a Christian. Perhaps you've been shutting yourself off from heaven and you need to hear Jesus' warning that that can't go on. You are on a slow train to hell for as long as you reject Jesus. And God does not want us there. I wonder whether you think, uh, I wonder how you think God feels uh, as he uh, listens to this type of excuses. Um, Jesus, just before this passage, uh, weeps over Jerusalem. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Uh, This breaks God's heart, it breaks Jesus' heart as he gets rejected from the people he came to save and to love. And I hope you feel 
the tragedy of these verses. And I hope it helps you understand how God feels about our excuses, about our friends' excuses, how uh, heart-wrenchingly awful they are. I want us uh, to feel the warning this morning. That's the bulk of the text. That's the main thrust of the text. But as you read these parables, as you see what Jesus is up to, you see the beauty of what God is up to. I want to just touch on that briefly. You see, against the backdrop of this hostility, this really real nastiness towards Jesus and God's rescue plan for the world, something amazingly beautiful happens. Did you, you spot it as we read through the passage? Uh, you see verse 2, despite the danger that Jesus is facing healing on the Sabbath, Jesus heals the sick man. And in response to the Pharisees, he likens this man to a precious son or a very expensive oxen. He's saying that this man is precious. The Pharisees would have seen him as unclean. Uh, Jesus says he is precious and he heals him against uh, the threat of death. Uh, When Jesus challenges their dinner party etiquette, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of, God, of what God is up to in our world. What God is up to in our world is he's inviting the poor, the main, the lime, and the, blame, uh, the blind to his heavenly banquet. He is the one who's taking uh, the lowest of the low and saying, friend, move higher, just like the man in the parable. Uh, then the second uh, part of the parable, uh, where we... Um, in the second part of the parable, with all the, the bit with all the excuses and the party invite, we see how exactly the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind are coming into the banquet, how they're gaining entry. I wonder whether you spotted it as Andrew read it out. Did you spot how the, the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame are coming into the banquet? Just have a look at verse 21 if you spotted it. The master says to the servant, Bring them in. These are uh, people who can't come in by themselves. They need to be carried in. Uh, The people from the cities are are the people who have nothing. The people from outside the cities are the people who are too unclean and too disgusting to be mixed in with the rest of the people. And the master says to the servant, uh, bring them in. That's really what we see as we go through Luke's gospel. As Jesus travels from Jerusalem, from uh, chapter 9, verse 51, uh, to Jerusalem, chapter 19, uh, verse 10, he walks to Jerusalem rescuing people. Luke 19 says, Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we see Jesus romping towards his death, gathering the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, the physically and morally and spiritually bankrupt, gathered together by the King, the King who will bring them into the banquet, who will pay their entry fee with his blood as he dies on a cross. And friends, that is what is on offer in the gospel. Uh, We have on the table an offer to be brought into the banquet that is outrageously and extravagant and controversially expensive. It costs Jesus his life 
to take us into that banquet and he freely gives it to us. That's on offer for us today. No more excuses. No more keeping Jesus at arm's length. Free entry into the banquet. I hope you guess who we are in the story. We are uh, the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. We are those people who Jesus gathered, the, the lost of this world, those under God's judgment. And I hope what Jesus is doing in his parable here inspires you to follow him. I hope it shapes the now for you as you set your mind on the future glorious banquet that God has won for us in Christ. It is free to us, uh, but it costs God everything. Nothing can get us into that banquet. No religion, no social status, nothing we do here on a Sunday. Some of the scariest words in the Bible are spoken just before this parable uh, to those trying to get into the banquet. Uh, they say to the, uh, the, the servant at the door, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And the master replies, but I didn't know you. My prayer this morning is that none of us will hear those scary words, that none of us here will keep Jesus at arm's length We would take him and walk with him and know lives shaped by the joy of following Jesus, following him to eternal life and to that amazing banquet. Why don't I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we are sorry when our hard hearts have overtaken us, where we've given excuses to you, where we've kept Jesus at arm's length. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would hear your warning this morning, that we would hear your warning of rejecting Jesus. But also, Lord, we pray that we'd be inspired to follow Jesus, that we'd know the joy and hope that comes in the now through following Jesus and the life he gives us. In his name we pray. Amen.